Cosmere can be a confusing place. From Allomancy to Surge Binding, there's a lot to look out for. We're your hosts and escorts to the realms. I'm Griff. And I'm Alex. And, and this, this is, is the Silverlight Silver Guide to the Cosmere. Welcome to episode three. Yes, welcome Griff, to episode three. I wanted to run something by you. Okay. So, as our listeners will have noticed, we are currently, we have done the preface and the prologue. Right. So what if we look up synonyms? Because there's more. There, I'm sure. There's more. Um, well, we could also we could also uh, slide into other terminologies. We could. Like we could do prelude, which is musical, but one of the one of the episodes I did name. Which let's look at the. I did do prelude. Oh, you already did. We did prelude. prelude and prologue, so this could be the preface. This is could be the preface. Yes. We also we have a foreword. We have the foreword. There's another term that can come after foreword. So synonyms for prologue, introduction. Okay. Pretty solid, except I I that don't. Would, we really would have to put that at the beginning if we, really we were going to do we it. Would. Yeah. So we've, we've used forward, preface, preamble. Ooh, I like preamble. Preamble's pretty good. Preamble is pretty good. Then they have prelude. Preliminary. Eh, Not as good. I, that's more of an adjective than a noun, in my opinion. According to Oxford Languages, uh, intro is a separate word from introduction. Really? Okay. Here's, here's the one that tickled my fancy. Okay. Exordium. Ooh. I know. What does so, that actually mean, though? Like, what's the connotation for an exordium? The beginning or introductory part, especially of a discourse or treaty. Oh, I mean... Or treatise. Yeah, like... Yeah. No, we need to use so, that. So what, the, the, what we could do, what we could do uh -huh. is, um, for each system, as we go along, the exordium for each system could be talking about the investiture. This is true. So exordium, parts one, two, and three will be coming out. Ah, okay, for episode four, or, yes. Four, so our episode four will be labeled Exordium. Okay. I, that's what I like. I mean, I pretty much think that, like, Exordium, or Exordium kind of encompasses what we're doing here entirely, to be fair. That's because, true. Because our entire thing is a discourse and That's a right. treatise on, on the Cosmere. <laughs> on the Cosmere. So. Yes. Video essays delivered to you bi-monthly. Yes. Video essays? Audio essays. Audio. Did I say video? You said video. I meant audio. I mean, we could do video essays at Eventually, some point. Eventually, yeah. I'd really like to do an interlude where we play the Stormlight Call to Adventure. Ooh, yeah, we should. We should. That is absolutely true. And then we'll have an interlude on a Cosmere tabletop. And, we're, and we could have several interludes on that. I still need to get finished with that system, but... Right. I mean, that is something I would like to continue to work on, because yes. I think that it would be... While I think I need to streamline the system that I currently have, I think the premise that I was working from mm -hmm. works well, where yeah. there's an investiture system that is system agnostic, or... Not system, planet agnostic. planet agnostic. And while there may be uh, addendums to the rules for each planet specifically, such as, like, you can't 
it doesn't seem like you can flare Stormlight in the way that you can flare Allomancy. Right. Um, but then, with Stormlight, you can... It seems like you can grow over... It's like a muscle you exercise. Right, More right. so than, than... Yeah, like, I, I think that there would have to be some system-specific... Because, of course, breath doesn't work the same way as Allomancy or no. Farukami or any of it. But the the underpinnings that I have for the investiture system, I think will still cover all of that and allow it to work in a similar fashion. Enough so that you could have a breath user sitting alongside an Alamancer. And, and have at least some sort of cohesive... Right, yeah, some cohesive underpinnings for everything. So. Absolutely. So, the preface today, uh, life updates. You got anything cool? Uh, how many... Not... How many... Uh, tabletop RPGs, are you running or are you in right now? Two. Two. I'm running a Zelda one, uh -huh. which is based off of the Fantasy Age system. Uh -huh. And then I have a actual Dungeons and Dragons running fifth off edition. the 5th edition. Uh, I actually got to play both... Well, okay, I sort of got to run both last night. So I was running the Zelda one, and then one of our players lost power. Oh no. And since we're playing on a virtual tabletop... Right. That that effectively cut him from the game. And since we only have three party members to begin with, losing one of them... Pretty good chunk. Yeah. Uh, so, so we unfortunately cut that short. They did get to do one extended test, which is... it. It's... Instead of a single roll to achieve something, it's right. several rolls over a course. I actually... Very elegant system. Fantasy Age actually has a lot going for it, and I yeah. think it's a very underrated system. Um, and then in the D&D game, they actually got to go through and they had a choice of three things in front of them. They, they could either go help these people retake their town, go take care of a bunch of kobolds that seem to be, uh, like preparing for battle or go retake a monastery that had been taken over by mysterious foes. Oh. And I did have plans for how things would progress, depending on which one they decided to deal with first. Uh, they decided to deal with the town, mm -hmm. and then they decided to deal with that in the, in my opinion, dumbest way possible, which is go into the brightly lit building. They know uh -huh. this town, by the way, is overrun by undead. Okay. They come in, they see no undead, they immediately head for the brightest lit building... And decide to start exploring that. My face, the listeners cannot see. No. But a mixture of incredulity and confusion. Yes. So. Well, cool. So no life updates. No, okay. not really. I have a game going. I really wish the Zelda one had worked out because I had a really good dungeon actually, like, designed for it. Speaking of cool, I got a sunburn. That's I'm really, sorry. No, it's all right. I took the week off and ended it with a day at the pool and... Which I'm sure was pleasant. It was. But it did come with a sunburn. Yes. And now we're here. And while live streams continue to come out with updates on the books, we have already said that we're not going to be spoiler spoiling any of that Yes. with the Kickstarter books, and there's nothing else to report on Sanderson news. Right. The Kickstarter keeps going well. Yeah, that, yeah. That, they they have they have given some thank you goals. Yes, that is which true. Are not spoiler 
and so they'll do a they'll do a double double color print plate for maps and such in the right books. right um and they'll and they've said that they're upping the quality of what's going to go in the boxes which i imagine was going to be good quality to begin with right so, so also um for any of those interested especially for those who listen to the audiobooks we have already gotten news that Kate Redding and Michael Kramer. Michael Kramer will not be doing the audiobooks for the Kickstarters. At least not all of them. At least not all of them. Uh, so apparently they're holding open auditions for that. So hopefully, obviously, they'll be good quality, but they will somewhat stand out from the normal process for Sanderson's books. Because yeah. I think that... Who was it that did Elantris? It wasn't Michael Kramer, was it? I don't know. I mean, it, and it was it was the first one, right? So right, and I know that and Warbreaker had different. And I really liked Warbreaker's narrator. Yes, I thought she, she was. Did a she great did a job. Yeah, I think she did a great job. Um, I I I thought the narrator who did a lunch was also good. Yes. The my issue was that there was also then the short story in Arcanum Unbounded, uh, the hope of. Elantris. Right. And Michael Kramer read that. Right. And between the two, um, I I tend to pronounce things the way the audiobook does. Gotcha. Gotcha. And they had very different pronunciations. I preferred the book where it was a little odd, where where we may we might read it and say like the Rayode or kind of mush those even together and say like road right uh the narrator for lunches would pronounce it riode right right or uh sheode all the all the vowels had very kind of like spanish or latin languages right everything is pronounced um and, and then in the hope of lunches this was not the case and it was shoud and yeah and kind of yeah it's like ah that doesn't sound as cool that's my only complaint there. Yeah. As these are promised to be somewhat standalone I will say, the only complaint I have about the audiobook yeah. from the initial, and this is only because I did read the 10th anniversary edition, uh-huh. he gave Hoyd a very old man sounding voice, so it was quite a shock going from Michael Kramer's typical Hoyd voice That's funny. to... This very old man sounding voice in in Elantris, and there was just yeah. th- there was a, a big disconnect there. That's funny. So, but that is our first tangent yes. of the day. This is true. Uh, perhaps we should have a tangent counter. <laughs> um, <laughs> that might be fun. And then there's uh, Dragon Con, Dragon Steel Con. Yeah, what, when November, is that? November 14th and 15th, oh, okay. which so. should directly coincide with the Lost Metal right, which, release. Let's get where, hyped. Where is, is... Are they doing it virtually this year, or are they no, doing it in person? it is in Salt Lake City. I mean, it's in November. Yeah. We could start saving money yep. and potentially attend. Yep, we could. It might be kind of fun. It, yes. Especially considering we're doing this. This. Yeah, we could do an episode to coincide with, with the Dragon Con. Yeah, because if we both go in on a hotel room, oh yeah, that'll, that'll make it super cheap. Yeah, like like we don't even need anything fancy. Like I, I can I can deal with a Motel Six. Oh sure, there's I um, I believe it's being held in, uh, 
either a convention center or a hotel that has a really large so we could potentially even get a room and there. they say yeah yeah what i've seen online is they they suggest getting the one it's like i think it's in a convention center because the people online say get the hotel across the street okay it's worth it gotcha so i think that's definitely something uh we should look into yeah yeah so. because i think it'd be worth being there and not doing it live per se right. but but you know right I'm glad we're getting the omnibus with the signed bit from Sanderson because I'd really, I, I've never really gone for signed things. I are you talking about with the comic? With the comic. With the white sand getting. comic. Yeah. yeah. I promise this has a point. I've never really gone for right um, in in my life. I'm like I don't really need the person I admire to sign. Right. I'm starting to see the uh, appeal. Yes. And, and I know it's something like Dragon Dragon Con or Dragon Steel Con. He may not sign at all. And if he does, it's going to be very limited. And, right. And he's specifically said the reason that he holds the Q&As is because he can't sign everybody's books. So right. he wants to give a little something. I will say, okay, so here's the thing on that on that front, working off that. Like, I, I agree. Most of the time, I've never gone for signed copies of things. Like... Even Dresden Files. Right. I wouldn't feel... I, I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't feel a need... Right. ...to get any of the Dresden Files signed by Jim Butcher. I mean, if they do, great, but, but whatever. Brandon Sanderson's... Okay, he doesn't even have the highest quality books I have read. Sure. They're great. Don't get me wrong. Like, this is not a dig on Sanderson at all. But there are some people that I have read that I would say literary-wise... They are more poetic writers or whatever. Sure. You like the prose better. The prose is... Right. Yeah. Right. But the thing that I will say about Brandon Sanderson, and one of the reasons that I love... And this will actually kind of work into what we're doing. One of the reasons I love the Cosmere is because I have never seen somebody do the connectivity between shared worlds and the world building that he does. And it just makes me so goddamn excited for the Cosmere and to yeah. see where it's going. Yeah. Like, and so I think one of the reasons that I love getting all of this stuff from Brandon Sanderson and the Cosmere and all of that is because he makes it an exciting universe to explore. Right. And it's not just focused on one person. Like, I think more than any other, even any anime series i have ever followed i can see myself making a character right that works in the universes that he sets up mm -hmm. and so i don't know i just like i i find myself getting more excited for shit in brand the brandon sanderson puts out than pretty much anything else like yeah i'm i'm all down for the signed copies of the omnibus of white sand i'm super fucking excited for the the not just the four books that are coming out in 2023, but all of the other boxes and products that's going to come with it. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to see the appeal for... I don't think I would ever find... I don't think I would ever express it for any other author. Yeah. But I think for Brandon Sanderson, I want to kind of start going for some of the... the higher-end things, as it were. Anyway, so on to the subject of the today's episode. Yes. Which is investiture. Which is the reason 
a lot of nerds enjoy the Cosmere. Yes. Because while there is a plethora of magic systems throughout Brandon Sanderson's world, they all center around an expression of investiture. Right. Of some sort. Right. So if you've been following along from the beginning, we have started at the top and yes. divided the the supreme being into the shards and now we're getting into how those shards influence the world the around, them. around them yes and now we are here yep. and talking about investiture we are talking about investiture which is complicated it is complicated today's episode is about investiture as a concept. As a concept. Not any specific... I mean, we will be discussing the specific planets, We but, will be. Yeah. Uh, that Briefly. is... I mean, we will be... Yeah, we will do a, a cursory overview of yeah. them. But that is... We are not going to be going into any of them in depth in this episode. No. We're going to be keeping it superficial, and by superficial, I mean incredibly deep. <laughs> but um, we're going to be going deep instead of broad. Yes. Yes. Instead of covering each individual one, we're just going to be diving into the concept as as it sits. And so, why is this important? Well, because investiture is, I mean, it is the underpinning of the Cosmere as a literary subject. It is the thing that sets Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere apart from any other fantasy setting. I agree. And so that, you know, like, you could... If you wanted to take any magic system, you could potentially attach investiture to it mm -hmm. in in a retroactive manner. Like, you could say, oh yes, Harry Potter's magic is run by investiture, or whatever. Right. But... Through the wood shard. Yeah, right. Is through the wands. Right. No, that no. doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. Although, actually, no, no, no. Not getting into that. <laughs> Um, I, you, you started my brain on theorizing how that would actually function, and no, I'm not going there this episode. It would actually, it would be, um, it's an alternate Cosmere where endowment is on Earth. No, see, and... what it would be is an alternate, it's a Cosmere system where the magical creatures are the ones that carry investiture, and when the core of the wand is inserted in, mm. that is what brings investiture with it. So the phoenix feather and Harry's wand, or... Sure. So... Stop. But there's... But there's... No! The, there's the innate magic of the wizard that they perform without the wand. <sighs> okay, but except they don't actually perform any magic without the wand, except in the movies. In the but, book, you need the wand to well, sort of. With the with the glass at the zoo, yeah, it's not directed. Okay, but that'd be kind of like allomancy versus what Kelsier was given by preservation in the secret history. Yeah, it's like it's like focused investiture rather than raw energy in you. I mean, it's really they would it would be. So that the investiture from the from the magical animals right. would bleed enough into society that those people who who could access that with a wand could, under duress, 
access it. Right, well, because, of course, the duress is what causes the crack in the spirit web mm -hmm. and allows the investiture right. to flow into them. So, honestly, what it would be like is each one of those instances would be like a mini snap mm -hmm. versus the right. one big snap with the Alamancers. That's right. And so, yeah, I could actually see that working. And then get enough cracks and you become a full-fledged wizard and then the wand is the core of your, or the direction of your power, etc., etc. Anyway. Tangent one. No, wait. Tangent five. <laughs> so, investiture as it sits is complicated on much the same way that Adonalsium is complicated, insofar as we don't have a lot on investiture as a concept. Right. The fine-tuning... It's right. not there. We can extrapolate a lot from which what we, will. we which we will, yes. Because unfortunately, again, like the Aldenalsium episode, when we ask, okay, what do we have canonically, not a whole lot is the answer. Right. We have a lot of examples canonically. We do. But we don't have a lot on investiture planet agnostic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always shown to us through some sort of system. Right. On a planet like Roshar, right. Scadrial, whatever. So, so, what we can say, though, is that investiture is what powers the magic system. Yes. No matter what magic system you find, if it is in the Cosmere, it is powered by investiture. Yes. And investiture is something that transcends the three realms. According to the wiki. Okay. I don't actually hold to that, and I'd like to see what they are referencing when they say that. Sure. Because in my opinion, it, from what we have seen, I don't actually, I, I can't actually support that point of view. And I would like to know what specifically... So, we have to do a caveat. Okay. And this caveat comes directly from Brandon Sanderson. Okay. And that is, um, and this somewhat ties into the fact that I've been listening to his podcast with Dan Wells. Right. Blank. This is not what I was talking with you earlier about. Right. But he, as his prerogative, he can retroactively say he was wrong about a word of Brandon. Okay. So, so he... What he answers at conventions and signings right. is loosely canonical. But he can go back and retroactively... If, if needed. So, right. So, for those listening, anything where I say, this was stated by word of Brandon, we have to take it with a pinch of salt that right. it may change going forward. So, in this case, Brandon Sanderson, at a signing uh, in Houston in 2014, said... Investiture is intended to be the building blocks of the Cosmere, so I would say, for the most part, it transcends the different realms. Probably more of the spiritual, if anything, but more accurately, it transcends them. And this was an answer to the question, what is the realmatic composition of investiture? So he's oh, saying... Okay, so, well, okay, so I don't think... Okay, here's the thing. I think I see what Brandon is saying. I don't think transcend was actually the right word. Sure. What I would have personally used, had I been saying this, is permeate. Okay. In the, therefore, it exists in all three realms. Right. It does not. It does not transcend them, but it does exist in all three, so therefore there is no 
romantic, or what's the term? Um, romantic composition? Yeah, there there isn't one, or what's the term? Um, romantic composition? Yeah, there there isn't one, because it permeates all three. Sure. It's it's like asking the composition of, okay, what's the composition of energy in our universe? Well, what form are you asking? Energy sure. in and of itself manifests in multiple ways, and it doesn't have a specific composition. Right. It just depends on what form you're looking at it in. Right. But, so, I mean, he does say it is more spiritual than anything. Right, which, which I would agree with. Right, because, because of the way that... People become it. users, right. right? Because you have to have cracks in your spirit web to become a, a an investiture user. That's right. Which I think we covered in one of the other episodes. I believe we did. Um, if we didn't, let us know. Email us. Right. Cosmere at gmail.com. But I will, <laughs> I will say, however, that, again, like I stated before, if it... And, and may... If I did not say that before, this they'll be hearing this the first time. Narratively, that is brilliant. In reality, that is fucking horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> you only get magical powers through major trauma. Yes. Fuck. I mean... Well, okay, except for breath users. Right. But even then, you're pulling that, like, kind of almost vital essence from someone else. Mm. Which is kind of horrifying in and of itself. Right. Just in a different fashion. Yes. Also, we kind of have to take both Elantris and Warbreaker with a bit of grain of salt when talking about their investiture use because I don't know if Brandon had the building blocks of his Cosmere created at those two. With a, I, I would say for Elantris, maybe, it does... It As we've stated before, it feels weird to have them... In that state. Warbreaker came out after Mistborn. Did it? It did. Really? We've had this conversation twice. I'm sure we have, probably. That still it surprises was, me. Yes. Because it does not seem like... The way the story is set up, it does not seem like a post-Mistborn story. Right. The way it's structured just right. does not seem like post-Mistborn to But me. when we talk about, and maybe we'll do an episode on the on the chronological order, and we'll, that'll be mostly... Uh, discussion about where we see where we see the thing going but um sanderson has stated that they he the the order in which they are released is mostly chronological right order. right so warbreaker does happen between in that 300 years between mistborn one and mistborn two. Oh shit i'm gonna have to adjust my reading order then my chronological reading order i mean i mean my 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 set reading order of here's here it is here's the intro for new readers that's not going to change oh sure but the but the chronological one is yeah. going to have to yeah um though we don't know where it falls in that three hundred years right but yeah, it's fine but considering there is no other book that falls within those three hundred years right uh that's where I need to place it now rather than I mean but it it would be before stormlight. And Stormlight well, yeah, takes clearly. place just right before Era 2. Um, right. So but, what I what I have is now in my brain, not mm, counting any of the short stories, mm, which, you know, I need to work reasons. in as well. Uh, it goes White Sand, yes. then Elantris, then Mistborn, mm -hmm. then Warbreaker, 
then Stormlight, then Wax Mistborn Two, yeah, and yeah, the 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 short stories sit in there as well for various books for obvious reasons. Various books for obvious reasons. Good uh, good podcast title. Yeah, yeah. But back to investiture. Yeah, back to investiture as it sits. Um, but again, like like as I said, canonically we don't have a whole lot. No. We know that each shard has its own. Right. We do know that investiture is, or the capacity for investiture use, is created through the spiritual realm. Right. Now, my question is, and I don't, I know we have this for Scadriel, but we don't necessarily have this for others, is whether or not investiture users are created intentionally intentionally by the The shards shards. because we know for a fact that preservation himself intentionally created alamance through lorassium wait or was that the lord ruler the lord ruler created lorassium lorassium from preservation's power from the well right okay which before we go on yes a caveat to our listeners this is likely the most complex part to to talk about. Yes. Because we're not it you cannot describe a word with itself. Right. You can right. there are you know, you can't explain we, certain right. topics. This is kind of like that. So I'd I'd say from here on out, if we say something and you know for certain that it's wrong, forgive us. We are mere humans. Yes. We are going to do a lot of extrapolation, a lot of theory, a lot of discussion on how we see it from our point of view, from what we've listened to and read. Right. And as if it were, as if we were talking about it late at night at a bar and we're like, hey, let's talk about investiture. So. So here's the complication with investiture on... Scadriel. Sure. And this is going to be a little bit of tangent because this is Scadriel specific. Tangent but, number 20. Yeah. But here's the thing. So we know that Ferukami was created by Preservation and Ruin working together. Yes. We don't know a whole lot on the origins of Hemalurgy. Right. But we do know that it is more ruin-oriented because it is endpoint negative. I believe it was created by... You could say it's it was created by ruin. Right. But here's the thing. Allomancy was not created by preservation. It was created using preservation's power, but it was created by the Lord Ruler. We could probably have a lengthy semantic discussion about whether a sliver could be considered the whole... Right. But here's... So, okay, so it doesn't change that much about the, the functional mechanics of Scadrial, but it does make me kind of interested on the narrative side. Going back to what you were asking, are invest- investor users intentionally created? Right, right. So, yes, on the Lorassium side of things, but not by preservation, by the Lord Ruler. Unless... It was preservation's manipulation of the whole situation for him to create that via his power. 
True. Well, and but here's, this is just okay. But here's the thing: we also know we know there's genetic compound to being a allomancer or right. component, not compound. There's a genetic component to you it. You have to be part ska. Yes, you have to be part of. Well, no, you have to be part noble. Right, part noble and part ska. Yes. Wait, part definitely noble. You noble. don't need to be. You yeah, no, you don't need to be part ska. You need to That's be part, part noble. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you need to be part noble because the nobles were the original yes. That's mis- right. or misborns from the creation of Lorassium. I'm already wrong. It's all good. It's all good. I was yes. I was working through it in my own brain, and I was going to be like, N- no. But anyway, yes. Uh, so here's the thing, though. So we know there's a genetic component, which is you do need to be part noble. However, there's also the snap. Right. Which means that while being part no, while being part noble, you also okay. So this so this goes back to my my premise, which is we know that the cracks in the spirit web right allow the investiture of the shard to be poured into the person right, which is what makes an investiture user. Yes, and. So we know that that is created, those cracks are either created by physical or mental trauma. Right. Usually both, but. Right. I mean. I mean, idea, you know, it could be at any point that somebody could be purely mentally traumatized and still become an investiture user while being physically perfectly fine. But whatever, that's not important here. Kaladin. Right. Yeah, there you go. Actually, that is a perfect example. Um. But it goes back to that intentional thing, which is, and it makes me think that it has to be somewhat intentional, because, like, if it were just, if, if we, okay, to to use a Gnostic term here, if we think that investiture is just emanating off of the shards, okay, then anybody that gets cracks in their spirit web should potentially have that investiture flow into them. If they exist in the spiritual realm alongside the shard of their planet. Or shards. I think we touch on this in the episode we've recorded about Skadriel. Okay. There's definitely a component of the more powerful investitures. Right. Um or the usage of investiture that has to do with something in the physical or the cognitive realm being the focus of that investiture. So the metal on Skadriel, right. the Nile bond on Roshar. Right. The, for however it works, the Sheod on Elantris. Right, right. Somewhat. Yeah, because you have to have that to be able to do the aeons. Yes. Um, Although there are other access, there are, there there are, are other ways, ways to, to access, access the door. We we have seen the, what's his name with the martial arts be able to do it. Yes. And of course the the Fjordans can do it. Yes. Oh well, mm, they no. may not access the door. Is it not? They access. I think they access Dominion's power, not preservation, or not. Uh, Devotions. I thought the door was what 
the power is after the gooification. And it was just the way that they were accessing it created different effects. And again, we've hit that point where Elantris is complicated because it was created before this was... Because I didn't think that since since Elantrian's power, say, diminishes as they move away from the city. Yes. I figured that when the shards were turned into plasma in the cognitive realm, I figured they kind of formed pools that were dependent on where you were, which is why that specific magic only works in that area. Mm. I.e., uh, Elantrian's power reducing as they get further away from the city. Right. And potentially you get far enough away, it'll stop working entirely. Maybe because the Fjordel magic thing has to do a lot with sacrifices and blood and, and, and body mutation, that it's that's feeding... The, the ma- I mean, obviously, the, that well, sacrifice. Uh, yeah, no, 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 absolutely. But what I'm saying is that I don't necessarily think they're accessing the door. I think, or unless their term for door, it just covers any kind of magic that's on the what planet I, whatsoever. That's what I thought it was. Okay, fair. That might be. I, I always figured it was kind of, because, because uh, they reference the martial arts that the dude is doing, and he's... Doesn't it talk about him shining or something as he's yeah, doing it? Yeah, it starts glowing or something. Yeah, and, and we see the Elantrians also glowing with their light and magic and things like that. Mm-hmm. I kind of figured the door was specifically refer- referencing uh, Devotion's power, but it could be Dominion's as well. This, it never um, makes the... Maybe it's just the door is the term that Chris uses for the two of them together? Well, no, because uh, what's his name? The main character of Elantris. Raiden? Yeah, Raiden specifically mentions the door. True. It's not just mentioned in yeah, the afterwards from Chris. So This is confusing. Yeah, it is confusing. Um, I'd love And it's even more confusing because it's Elantris and we, right. there, there's fuckery there. <laughs> Black magic. Shenanigans. Um, uh, I guess maybe let's turn it back towards extrapolating on investiture right so i feel like there has to be at least some semi-conscious component intent okay here's the thing here's the thing actually a lot yeah that that is the one core thing you get to with investiture on almost all levels is intent has to be there that's right so they show it time and time again they show it time again in in Stormlight Archives, in even in in freaking Elantris, because they just waving your fingers oh, won't make right. the glowy. Yeah, you have to like use... you have to intend to draw in the air for it to. Yes, and and then you have to feel it inside. You have to let the door flow through you. Right. So I feel like yes, those who become there has to be at least some level of intent on the shards end of things for someone to become or 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 there is an intent on the splinters side of things because if we look at if we look at roshar honor is is shattered splintered yes splintered whatever 
for correct terminology. Okay. Honor is splintered. There is, I mean, eventually, yes, he'll be able to pull himself together. Right. But currently, he does not have any intent to put into things. No. Not not on the, the end that we think. Not, not to the level that we think. Right. But we do know that the Honor Spren and the Stormfather are both there. They have intent. They can form bonds even though Honor is splintered. Right. And so, therefore... The intent is still there, even if it's not specifically on honors. Even if it's not a core intent on honors part. Because of the fact that honor is splintered. I think I'm following along. Before we get too far away from it, the I wanted to mention that I definitely think there is an intention to create investiture users given the examples of cultivation and preservation, manipulating... Because each shard has at least somewhat of a foresight right? where they can't tell exactly what will happen, but they can tell everything that could happen. Right. And um, pick up on the more likely right. strands. And they manipulate that. Yes. And definitely create investiture users. Right, I was actually going to bring up Lyft specifically uh -huh. because of the fact that Lyft could not get the use of lifelight spontaneously. No. It had to be intent er, specifically given to her by preservation, or not, uh, cultivation. by cultivation. And so therefore, I think, you know, I think the Honor Spren creating, or actually all of the Spren creating Surge Binders is actually very much the same thing, which is Honor may not have intent, but the Spren do. And they are splinters of not necessarily Honor specifically. No. We know the Honor Spren, however, are specifically splinters yes. of Honor. And then Cultivation Spren are splinters of, of cultivation. cultivation. And then any other Spren that can bond is a combination. Right. So the fact is, the intent is there even if the majority of the consciousness is splintered in the case of honor. Right. So the fact is, is that, which, okay, that mm, brings up some interesting things, but that's also kind of more on the Roshar end of things than Investiture as it's... We can probably save that then for the... Because, because... Well, no, they're just they're just major spren. The child. Oh, right. And tower light. That would be yes. That would just be a major spren like the Stormfather. It wouldn't be a shard. Right. It would yes, like the Stormfather or right. like the Night Watcher. Right or like the Night Watcher. Yeah, yes. yeah. So it would just be a major a major spren. Um. Complicated. Complicated. Investiture, yeah, investiture is complicated. That's, I mean, you've heard us say it before. You right. You say it again. And, and again, it, unfortunately, like, it'd be, as, as I have said before, and I, I will probably say again, I really hope at some point Brandis Anderson writes an encyclopedia. Mm -hmm. Because I'd love to have some canonical summaries of how this shit works. I would be, I would be surprised if he does. I, uh, yeah, I would be surprised if he does. I don't think he will. He... So, again, I've been heavily listening to Intentionally Blank, 
And another thing he has said on there is that uh, he is not one for details, which is... That, I think, is expressly wrong, Well, but I think I know what he's saying when he says that. He... He was he was saying it in the terms of there are he and he and Dan were talking about how nerdy they are right but how much not nerdy they are compared to other people that they know right and and he briefly mentioned like somebody will come up could come up and ask about a very specific part of a specific book or a specific character Sanderson doesn't sometimes doesn't remember ah yeah and that's that, fair that kind of thing. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I will say he is very detail-oriented on his world-building, however, because, like, Absolutely. if you look at, um, specifically what comes to mind, is from the Wax and Wayne series. Chris makes a cameo appearance. Mm -hmm. At least, we, I don't know if it's been confirmed to be Chris Aldea, but, okay, yeah. Where she asks Wax about conservation of momentum. Right. And, you know, whether or not that applies with his weight shifting and everything and so i think that you know brandon sanderson is to the best of his ability trying to kind of make investiture a scientific concept right um so it uh from from the from the wiki it follows the three laws of the of thermodynamics right and a fourth law which has to deal with adelnasium but right they didn't specifically spell it out as sanderson is want to do right never. well and then we of course have sanderson's laws of magic right which is his it's a narrative laws but i think it does also follow and i saw um, somebody i saw somebody uh in one of the stormlight groups on on facebook a lot of people have a lot of people post about rhythm of war okay uh and how and i saw somebody comment that Sanderson broke one of his own rules. Which is what? Um, something... Now, I'm not fully versed in it, but essentially they said um, he let it drag in the middle of Rhythm of War, which, yeah. A little bit. I, I could I could. But I think there was for. a point to that. Okay, but how did he break one of his own laws? Because I don't see that... I am unsure. Okay, because... Here's the thing. I, I know his laws of magic specifically. Sure. And so maybe there's other laws there's of other writing. Way. Because the I'm laws sure of magic, I don't see any is. of that being broken. No. Because one of it is, you know, um, your your ability to use magic to solve a problem is directly proportional to how well the readers understand. Yes. Two, flaws are more interesting than powers. Yep. Three always go deeper, always explore what you already have more than adding something new. And so I don't see any of those being no. broken by Rhythm of War. No. Maybe we're talking about one of his I'm writing. I'm sure. Watch one of his, or all of his uh, lectures on writing. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. That said, I also understand the point of it, because the fact is his entire point of Rhythm of War was to bring some of those characters to their lowest possible point. Right. Before bringing them out of it, which made it a very tough book to read. It was. I'm not going to lie. I There were sections of it I did not read as close as I probably could have. On my, on my second listen through, I, I skipped a majority of the book. Yeah. 
I won't lie, I skipped some sections. I, I skipped... I don't remember exactly where I left off, but I skipped a lot of the uh, center sections up to the point where Kaladin accidentally leaves... Uh, what's her name behind? Sil, Sil behind. When he, what, falls down a shaft or something? It was very aggravating reading Rhythm of War. Mm-hmm. Because of the fact that, of course, I knew things were going to turn out okay eventually. That is I, I did know a that. nice thing about yeah, Sanderson. I did know that. But at the same time, seeing a lot of these people make expressly awful decisions. That is a difficult thing in any book. It is... And I don't mind small sections of it. Sure. Because, like, honestly, um, to bring up another series entirely, um, the Magicians series. Okay. For those I'm talking about, for those who are listening, I'm talking about the novel, not the TV series. You see them make very human, terrible decisions. Yes. But one of the things that I kind of saw about Rhythm War, and I can also kind of see people's complaints about it, I think, is that it's just this entire middle section of people making terrible decisions over and over again. Like, Navani keeps fucking helping... Rabonio. Yeah. Over and over again. In explicitly terrible options. And, like, yeah, Raboniel dies at the end, but not before her information gets out. Right. And... So it's, it, and and we see, you know, Kaladin sink lower and lower into his depression. Right. Which, I'd say, while it's difficult to read because of how dark that part is, that part is not so much making bad decisions no, as it's it is, just... I think, an accurate depiction of... Uh, and the fact is, if that had been the only part of the story... And we hadn't had the whole Navani Rabonial part or anything like that. I actually don't think I would have had that much problem. Right. I think it was the combination of helplessness on Kaladin's part, plus expressly terrible decisions by Navani, plus the obviousness of talking to the child and that revealing where the weak points are that the group needs to destroy. Like, it was just all. A big mess. And I think it was a little much. Anyway, but regardless... Yes, I think... Int- but but on one of the things we do discover through that, that book is that intent is a core part of anything in, with investiture. Oh, yeah. And I think that that goes to creating new investiture users as well. Yes. Apart from... Well, no, I mean, I think even, even with Nalthus, I think Endowment intentionally gave everyone breath. Right. But that does kind of break the spirit web thing. I don't... There's, I mean, the exception proves the rule. Maybe. And the fact is, is that what I could possibly say, and this may or may not hold true, I'd, I'd kind of be interested to ask Sanderson about this, maybe the fact that breath is, is put there on the moment of conception rather than having to be put into somebody later. Right means that the rule doesn't have to apply. True. Because, like, effectively on Nalthus, everyone is a breath user. 
whether or not they actively use the breath or right. not, they have it there to use. I think, I think it's been stated, or or generally explained that the spirit cracks absolutely help the person become an investor to use it, but right. that is not absolutely necessary. Interesting. So it's. I mean, it, there's there's a lot of gray areas, right? Right. Which is nice because it right, leads right, to right. good discussion, but because we also wonder, okay, how does the shadow work? Right. Because clearly, it strikes randomly, as far as we've seen. Randomly, for people born in that area. Yeah, in that area, we do we do know the ge- geographical rules. Right. Because that is necessary, but. We also know that it does strike randomly, so it, it doesn't strike those who are, say, more traumatized. Like, honestly, Prince Raiden has a pretty nice life before he's struck. Right. Though, I mean, you, you could say some mental anguish from having to uh, constantly rebel against his father. Right, but maybe not necessarily as much as, say, Kelsier no. to make a misborn out of him. Like, right. that was... Ugh. He went through a fucking lot. Yep. So, I would say that... Definitely helps. And, you know, interestingly... Maybe it also depends on... Because we know that in... In... Mistborn... It is said that Ruin has a hold on more people than Preservation does... Right. We know that Vin was kind of explicitly made to carry preservation's power because most people are more tied to ruin than they are preservation, which is why Kelsier can't hold preservation's power as well as Vin can. Or use it as well as Vin can. Right. So maybe what the cracks also do is allow in investiture that one is not inherently oriented to, which is why... Kelsier became a misborn where he might be have been more geared towards hemolurgy. That is bringing up a whole bunch of confusion in my head. Uh, yeah, I mean, looking back on it, in hindsight, it was all manipulations by Ruin and Preservation to get the upper hand. Right, of course. On the on the part where, with Kelsier being more, having having some sort of um, adaptitude, what, what word am I? Adaptation? With, at, with the hemolurgy. With right, the, right. What you just said. I mean, maybe, I feel like the way that allomancy and hemolurgy works is so separate enough that you are there differing levels of hemolurgy based on the person outside of the initial power they had and the strength that they get? Well, I would say that what we could potentially say is that people might take to one or the other a little bit better. And so, like, well, okay, like, for example, we know that... Okay, from... From... Era 2... We do know that there is a limit to how many spikes somebody can have in them before they are able to be controlled by Harmony. Three, I believe, is the limit before. Is it two? It is two. Okay. For the Chondra. No, I wasn't talking about the Chondra. I was talking about people. People. 
Because we know that Wax's uncle has spikes. Right. And they were experimenting with it to find out how many they can put in themselves to give themselves abilities before they're able to be controlled by Harmony. Oh. And I think they said three. That is not ringing a bell. So maybe it's three. Maybe it's three. I don't know. Anyway. For Condra, it's two. For Condra, it's two. And that Condra are slightly different because their yeah. spikes grant them consciousness mm-hmm. where the... What's the gang that Wax's uncle is a part of? The, the set, set group. The set. Yeah, we know the set are... They don't They don't need consciousness granted. Right. They They already have it. They're just giving themselves abilities through the spikes. And some sort of weird breeding program. Yeah. Thanks for that one, Sanderson. Yeah, that was... Uh, although, Lee Bardugo's... God bless you. Uh, Lee Bardugo was the one who wrote uh, the Shadow and Bone oh, sure. series, which I don't know if you saw the TV series or I not. I did watch the... Yes. Okay. Uh, I would recommend skip the rest of the Shadow and Bone series and go straight to Six of Crows. Right, you've told me. Yes, if you watch the first season of the show, you don't need any more information than that. Um, however, in one of the, okay, past Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom, which are the duology that covers the dregs, which are, uh, Kaz Brecker, like the, right. those characters from the show, it's their story. The more entertaining one. Yes. From the show. Yeah, the, the more entertaining story <laughs> from the show. Real. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to deny that. Um, anyway, one of the characters from that series carries into the series of uh, King of Scars and Rule of Wolves, which is a duology that takes place directly after Crooked or the, the Six of Crows series. It covers the king of the country that the girl is part of in the first trilogy. Okay, so you know how there's the fold, right? Yeah. The big shadow thing. Right. And how the country that the fold is going through the middle from is cut in two. Right. That country that was cut in two, the king of that country is the main character in King of Scars and Rule of Wolves. Okay. The new one, because I think the old one dies. Right. And the new one's kind of trying to hold everything together because shit's gone, shit's hit the fan because of the fold. Um, however, anyway, long story short, I'm not going to get too complicated on it. There's a whole fucking Grisha breeding program by one of the enemy countries to like have a children that are born addicted to a drug so that the country can control the Grisha children. Wow. Yeah. It's fucked up. Yep, that is fucked up. Yeah. Thanks, Anderson, <laughs> for not being that... That necessarily fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Ooh, boy. I mean, hemallergy, but, and, hemallergy and Moash. Uh, uh, yeah. The two, no, the two most effed up parts yeah. of the Cosmere. Although hemallergy is interesting, because if you think about it on Investiture, with the spirit web thing, mm-hmm. physical or mental trauma... Physical trauma is definitely there inherent in the process of hemallergy. True. So, I find that interesting. And, yeah, and definitely mental trauma after. Now, here's... Okay, actually, I did want to get in on something on you. All right. Because we had a little bit of a debate on whether or not planets had their own investiture. Right. And we kind of discovered... 
But here's my evidence as to why I think it is still the case to some extent. Okay. Why is Scadrial based on metal? The uh, physical investiture takes on metallic properties across everywhere. Shard blades. Right. Right. And we each know that there's a god metal for each one. Right. But why Scadrial on the whole is based off of metal? Uh, well, in the meta terms, I'd say probably because it sounds cool. Right. And, uh, I understand the meta terms, but I'm talking about in-universe. I mean, it sort of becomes a chicken or the egg thing can. So in Mistborn Era 1, the crux was that ruin and preservation and I assume Harmony, cannot see past metal because it's so blinding. Right. Was it blinding before they made humans? I would probably say, personally, I would say yes. Here's the thing. I think whether or not it had a direction, I think that Scadriel's metal was inherently investiturally char or, uh, charged. And so, because the metal was charged with investiture, regardless of whether or not it had a an outlet, per se, I think the only reason that the... I think the shards investiture blended with the metal, and that's why the metal is the system that is used on Scadrail. It could be. I'm not saying it's inherently that. Woof. <laughs> But I'm going to say I think in that I think there is evidence there for planets being charged with investiture that is separate from the shards that inhabit them. If that's the case, I would say that that would have been done by Adelmasium before the shattering. Potentially, but if if we know that investiture permeates all three realms. B.S. Right. Anderson's words, which right. which we know, grain of salt, I understand uh -huh. that. I would say that maybe some of it just forms naturally like that because Adonisium just might have let some planets form the way they wanted to without without sure. a huge amount of intent. Like, like, I mean, if he's a godlike being, he can probably have a measure of intent without sitting down and focusing specifically on this planet and saying, okay, this planet is going to have metal be investiturally right. charged. That's, that's really, that's a good question that I, I mean, obviously I can't answer. Right. And I mean, yes, I understand on the meta side, it's like, okay, it's cool. You know, the, the magic being charged by metal. Yeah. I mean, it's something that drew me to Mistborn initially was that I had never seen that kind of a magic system done before. Right. So it was, it was very novel. It was very fresh. It was, it was new, but I would say on an in universe scale, I think that things can have investiture without it being an explicit decision by the shards. Because like, why the sand on Taldane? Right. Like, that why why autonomy with sand? Maybe maybe we'll get some answers in Dragonsteel? Maybe we will. I'm just saying that like I think that things can 
things can... Okay, in the way that organisms can take... Okay, okay, actually, here's a, here's a very good example. Okay. Long before we ever made machines, there were organisms on this planet that took energy and made use of it. Humans being a prime example. Right. We use energy. We yeah. ingest food, we digest it, we get the energy, we use that to power ourselves and move. Yes. I think in a very similar fashion, but then we made machines that also require energy. Right. But those machines were made with intent by us for a use. Okay. I think in a very similar fashion, there were organisms that could take in and if not use investiture, have investiture as an energy source. Like like the fungus that covers the sand on Taldane. Yes. That can take in the sunlight and get charged by it. And so they still have that there, even if the intent to use does not come until the shards exist on that planet... And then give that investiture a use for the users. Big chicken or the egg. It is, it is. But I would potentially say that the reason that the magics work the way they do on the planet is partly to do with the planet. Scadriel is metal. Right. Because Scadriel has investorly charged metal. Taldane is sand because Taldane has the fungus which invests the sand. Right. And so, you know, and and so it's it's just one of those things where I'm not going to say that investiture had a point or a use specifically until it mixed with the shards investiture and then created the systems that we see. Right. But I think that foundation kind of had to be there. And and then I would uh, and then again I would say that Adelnasium had something to do with that probably yes i'm not going to disagree yeah i mean we could also say that ostensibly adonasium could see the future better than any other shard currently can right which brings an interesting point up about the shattering right i was thinking that same thing myself <laughs> like the way that cultivation manipulated dalinar and teravangian yes to get to the point where they are now right could very well have a counterpart or a parallel with Adelnasium and maybe, say, Hoid? Maybe. In, in, and, and really, because Sanderson, and this is more than just like a word of Brandon, Sanderson has said the theme of the Cosmere is death and rebirth. Right. And so, you know, actually, maybe the reason Hoid didn't take a shard yes but is the way he is and was there was because he was working with Adonisium because Adonisium basically in a very Jesus moment actually if you look at Gnostic text anyway yep. um, was kind of like this has to happen this way yes like this is going to happen this way there's no way to avoid it there's no way to change it this has to happen for things to work out the way they need to you just have to be there for it. Or, for a more uh, secular point, right. Doctor Strange in Infinity War. Right, yes. That There's one, there's there's one. one path. Yeah. Okay, yeah, sure, bud. <laughs> and it involves a rat 
turning on a machine in a van in San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it does. <laughs> so, I mean, all, all signs point to Hoyd. Um, yeah, no, I think that Hoyd was definitely... I think Hoyd has a lot more knowledge about what's going to go on mm -hmm. than he says. But I also think he's kind of working a lot more blind... Or, not blind. Let me rephrase that. I think he's working on a bigger scale than the, uh, than the other shards are. But he can't see any of that nearly as well as Adonisium can. No. And I, I, think, I think he's just kind of trusting... I think Adonisium gave him a, a quest, and he's kind of, just kind of trusting that it'll work out the way it needs to. It's... it's, it's a, I, I'll, I'll throw it out there that it's almost a common trope, but it when you have creatures that can see the future... Right. Then the way to counteract that is with and we watched the secrets of dumbledore the secret of dumbledore two days ago and that was the plot point uh is that you have to counteract right that future site so well and and here's the thing that the way the reason that i like the way brandon sanderson did the future site. And I think it's the way that I would do it if I were to ever put any kind of precognition in any kind of book in, you wrote. any kind of story I wrote is the idea of being able to see possibilities. Right. Because I I mean and maybe this is just me, I don't like determinism. I don't like it. I hate determinism. It's kind of the problem that I have with and I will will probably hit this on the post show because I do actually want to do that. I have a whole thing about time travel. Okay. That I... Then today's that post show yeah, will be we, about time travel. Yeah, that will be about time travel and stories and the way that I would... Then, then to bring us back on topic, is there anything more we can say about investiture before we... I don't think so. I don't think there is. I think at some point, and this may be in the extrapolation point, we will need to talk about Six of Dusk. Right. I or mean, first of the sun. I we've been we've been planet. extrapolating for a while, so we can we right. Can... I suppose we can work that in. First of the sun, or first of sun. First of the sun. First of the sun. Okay, good. Um, is the only planet we see that has investiture without a shard. Right now, there is a potential that the deity of first of the sun was a shard of autonomy. Right, an avatar of autonomy. An, yeah, an avatar Hachi, of autonomy. The island. But we don't know. No. So, let's work off of what we have evidence-wise currently. It does have a perpendicularity. Mm -hmm. One. It has one, which is actually kind of unique, because we don't see anything about Nalthus and where its perpendicularities are. But typically, there's one perpendicularity per shard. Right. So, like, for Ruin, or for Scadriel, it was the Mines, where Atium is, and the Well of Ascension. Right. Were the two perpendicularities. And then Kelsier broke the Mines. But, you know, whatever. As one does. As one does. Uh, and then, of course, Roshar has three. Because there's honor's perpendicularity, which can just be made. Right. And that we don't see again until Dalinar 
does, but it is there. It is a thing. We have the pond up where Rock is. Right, in the mountains. In the mountains, which maybe cultivations? I believe Azure states it specifically. Okay. As, as cultivations? Yes. And then we have another one somewhere, and I would say that's probably Odium's. We should, though, question... Right. Tangent number 56. Right. Are the perpendicularities one per planet, or are they per shard? Right. Or are they one per system per shard? Because I would argue that Odium's is on Braze. Right, but then how do the people get from Braze to Roshar? Through the uh, cognitive realm. Right, which are perpendicularities. Okay, let me rephrase that. How do the creatures get from Braze to Roshar to a physical form because for them to in for for the soul forms of the not the singers what are the no the singers no the ones no. who come back that come back oh. in a new body over and over again are they not the singers no the singers are that the listeners were the I thought that I thought they gave a specific name to the reborn, though. Voidspren? I mean, no, not the Voidspren. They are Voidspren. I mean, they are Voidspren, but no, that's not through the Everstorm. Anyway, regardless, I think there has to be a perpendicularity for them. The the um the returned. No, that's uh, that's endowment with the Nalthos. Oh shit! The Regals, the well, they are the singers. They are the singers, yes, they but they're specific singers that are given a a. Oh, so that's how they look. I have never seen. Uh, what are they called? What was the name given to them by the, the light eyes, given to the singers. Voidbringers. No, Parshendi. Parshendi. I've never seen artwork of the Parshendi. You haven't? No. That's not quite how I pictured them. In have my you head, seen this artwork? I have seen something similar. Yeah, I've, okay. heard, I've seen what they did in the in the books. Um, in I believe it's in Rhythm of War, they did drawings. Uh, as I, I mean, ever since somebody was like, oh, they look like Darth Maul, I've just put in Darth Maul for what they look like. Maybe it's the fused I was thinking of. Cognitive Shadows, Singers, Bound to Odium. The fused. The fused is yes, the one I was thinking of. the fused. Of. The way the fused get from Braze to Roshar, yes, is through the Cognitive Realm. Through the Everstorm. Yeah, through the Everstorm. So maybe that's the... But the perpendicularity, I feel, is for physical realm inhabitants only okay so here's the question then how are the parshendi or the singers i guess getting to the cognitive realm because they do but they're clearly not using the pond in the mountains and they're clearly not using dalinar's honors perpendicularity are but they physically get to the cognitive realm because well was it the gates are you basing this off of your theory about the end of wax and wayne no, Three. no, 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 no. I'm talking about in... Oh, yes. 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 They end up part. in the cognitive realm. That part. 
Through the gate. Through through the gate. Is it through the gate? Through the gate. Yeah. Jean, okay. Jean Not could definitely. I could totally see Jean Not being. The the way that, she messes with the gate. Right. Wait, but, but no, they wouldn't it need to have been unlocked. Yeah, it would have needed to be have been unlocked. So there has to be a perpendicularity somewhere. Either that, or they're the ones that have the power of. Oh. Movement. No, but we see that because that's the one that the Kaladin fights. Pursuer. Yeah, the transportation is is the one the Kaladin fights. Right. And it's teleportation. Well, so there well, has. But then there's there's the the will shapers have the one power, and it's slightly different than the else callers. Well, yes, but we know that that's through the bond that they that they form. We know that the like. The, the surge of transportation, right? Right, the surge of transportation. But we know that the reason that it works differently per per surge binder, or per night radiant order, right, is because of the, um, sprint. No. Oh. Well, yes, but no. <laughs> uh, it's the fact that the resonance. Oh. The reason that it works differently for else colors versus will shapers is. The resonance. The else callers are tied to the cognitive realm through the soul casting. Right. And so their transportation takes them to the cognitive realm. The will shapers are different. Right. So, the thing that I would say... Yes. Which, anyway... Uh, headcanon for my OC for the Rosharan system. Sure. Anyway, regardless, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it does uh, to you, and that's what it matters. Does, yes, it does to me. Um, so the thing that I would say is that I think there has to be a perpendicularity somewhere for them to use to get to the to the cognitive realm. Maybe. Because, because the singers only have a single power based on the spren that they fuse with. They don't get two like the the, the Knights Radiant do through forming the bond. They only get the one. And so I would say that we see the transportation in the singer version through the pursuer. Yeah. In the same way that the, the, the wind ones can't do the gravity sticking thing. They just fly. That's their whole thing. Yeah. 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 Okay, so, I don't know. Maybe Odium can just make his own. Which, we just don't know. I mean, we don't know. I'm just saying there's probably a third one yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Although, if we're wrong, fucking send us an email and let us know. Because I feel like there's probably something about the gates that we're forgetting, maybe. I don't know. If Jean not corrupts the sprint at the Gate? Could she do that? I mean, maybe? Well, what about the one that, that fucking sends everybody to the cognitive realm through the gate when they try to use it? That was Jean Nod. That was Jean Nod. So maybe, but also isn't she, like, not helping... Odium? Odium, because... She's kind of independent. Yeah. Which I feel like most of them are becoming independent of him. I don't know. I... A lot of speculation here. A lot of speculation. I'd also have to go back and reread, because, honestly, it might be answered at some point. Maybe. Although, the gates being a, a gate to the cognitive realm is very interesting. Because True. it's almost like they're man-made perpendicularities. 
If, I mean, you could, uh, theoretically, I feel like a bondsmith could, it, it, as it, as they were being created, could create a bond between, I mean. Well, I mean, what about, jo- well, it's, it's not, it's, it's that the gate transports to another spot via the cognitive realm, but the, mm. the people never actually go into the cognitive realm, so it's right. like the will shaper, but then Ja not corrupts it and and the group was supposed right. to die but then they end up in the cognitive realm well and then you also have the interesting thing of yasna and all the else callers being able to tr- transport themselves into the cognitive realm without a perpendicularity right but they do need a perpendicularity to exit no they just need stormlight Right, so why did Yasna have to travel to that one specific point to get out of... Because she didn't have any Stormlight. And where she was in the Cognitive Realm at that point, she was able to get Stormlight? I believe so. Okay. Or or that was the perpendicularity in the forest? I need to go back and reread the series. I think she, I think she, she either traded or, or found somebody gave her Stormlight there. Um, okay. Anyway... Sorry, tangent again. Wow. Uh, regardless, we do know the first of the sun has a perpendicularity, has investiture, in a somewhat more passive form, mm-hmm. because the birds, right, which kind of have to grant their gift to the person who owns the bird. But anyway, regardless, it does have investiture, but no shard that we know of. That we know of. Yeah. But it is set so far in the future. That's also true. We don't actually know how far into the future it is. Maybe this is... Well, but okay, but here's the thing. Chris writes about it. Right. Well, and we know that... Okay, Sixth of Dusk takes place way in the future. Right. But the system of the birds they've been using has existed for a... I mean, they make it sound like it's existed for a while. Mm. Yeah, but... Given the tech, the spot of technical, uh, technolo- technological, thank you, advancement, uh, right. of the um, people in, from uh, the sky. indigenous. Well, I was going to say the indigenous people oh, versus yeah, yeah. the people from the sky. Right, kind of shows that it, they haven't been the, there. The humans as, haven't right. been right. Which, but I mean, we still, yeah. It's complicated on that front, because while Sixth of Dusk is really fascinating as, like, a glimpse into the far future of the Cosmere, and potentially any other books that Sanderson writes might do similar... Sure. We don't know what... We don't know what's going on on the wider Cosmere. So we don't know what the state of Edenosium is, or the rest of the Shards, or anything is at that point. We do know that Chris writes about it, though, which is interesting. Because she does write the fact that it is an outlier as a planet with a perpendicularity, but no shard. Right. Lot of lot of confusing stuff here. A lot of confusing stuff, because I know that Investor can allow people to live longer. There's a whole thing about relativity, time dilation due to heavy investiture areas... But it does make me wonder why is Chris writing about this planet if it has not existed for that long? And how long have the birds been doing this when humans haven't even been there? 
Because again, that brings that brings it back to why fruit? Why fruit? Why worms? Why birds? Like meta because it's cool. Meta state, yes. Meta yeah. meta reason because it's interesting and cool. In universe reason, but maybe because fruit is investorly charged and it mixed with a shard at some point or whatever. Yep. I got yeah, nothing. I know. Nor do I. I mean, not concrete. Right. But yeah, that's, uh, that's probably a good wrap-up. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, I think the fact is, Investiture is complicated. Like Autonosium, we don't have a lot of canon information on it as a concept. But I would say it's an energy that permeates all three realms, can take a variety of forms, mm-hmm. potentially can end up charging a specific matter on a specific planet. Potentially. Such as metal or whatever on Scadrial, or sand on Taldane, or I guess the the lichen okay. on the sand on Taldane. Yeah. And it powers all the magic systems. And I think canonically that's what we have. I think so. And everything else is what we extrapolated through the rest of this episode. Well then, until next time... Uh, don't panic, world hoppers. Life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before Pokemon. Okay, so, post-show. Time travel. In books. Time travel in books. In movies? In media. In media. And real life? Time travel. Potentially. So here's the thing about time travel, is that if we think about time travel, and, and interestingly enough, Homestuck is one of the things that made me think about this. Which I don't know if you've ever read Homestuck in any way, shape, or form. I tried. That's fine. The artwork is a lot for some people. But what you have is that you do have these portals that open up. Okay. Okay, so so the majority of Homestuck takes place in a separate dimension from the one we currently exist in on Earth. Okay. It starts on Earth, but it moves to a different place called the Incipisphere, I think. Okay. Um, and the planet there can create portals that... And meteors fall through these portals, sometimes to different times, mostly to the end of the world. I'm not going to get too into it. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact is, time travel doesn't have the paradox people think it does. Okay. Does that... <laughs> yeah. are, are you following? I'm following, yeah, Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, like, the fact is, you are still existing, regardless of whether the future you came back from exists or not. You're still you where you are. Yeah. So then... So if you travel back into the future, there's probably a different you somewhere else that followed the chain of events that you have now set into motion through you messing with the time stream. And you would also exist. So, alternate history? Or it is, it has always been? Okay, so, so let's refer to this as person A and person B. Okay. Person being a unique being. Right. Person A travels through a time hits a point where they go back in time. Yes. Now they are person B, because person A still exists. 
Right. There, there is person A and person B because now there are two of them in the same time stream. Okay. Right. Or in the same temporal location. Sure. So, okay, let's put a little bit more concrete in this. 1964. Person A is sitting in 1964. Okay. Goes to 1980. Yeah. Travels back in time. Okay. Because of a DeLorean. Sure. Whatever. Now there's person A in 1964 and person B, or actually, let's even do this. Person A in 1964, person A2 in 1964. Okay. Which is time traveler from 1980. Person A2 is time traveler from 1980. Yes. If person A2 travels forward after messing with the time stream back in 1964 to 1980, there would now be person A and person A2 both in 1980. Because person A, original person A, followed the new time stream that was created from person A2 fucking around with time. Right. Does that make sense? Sure. So, so therefore, moves forward, exists in new future, along with person A. Person A2 exists in new future, along with person A. Because person A2 is kind of time agnostic, if that makes sense. Okay. Because he, flo- because he moved through time, whether or not the future that caused him to go back exists or not doesn't matter. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I, have, I don't have an issue with a time travel paradox. I don't think there actually is one. Because I don't think time needs to be a linear progression of cause and effect. In media. Yes, in media. Right. <laughs> In real life, I don't know. I mean, Star Trek would support my premise because Spock exists in the very first Star Trek. Or in the very first of the new Star Treks. With Spock traveling back in time and fucking around with shit. Right. They they don't, physics-wise, they don't have any issue with this. I thought it was a Spock from an alternate universe. No. It was a Spock from the future. Oh. Yes. I don't think you'd even create an alternate timeline. Like, Marvel tries to explain it that way. But I don't think that's even the case. I think you'd just rewrite the timeline. My brain hurts. (laughs) (laughs) It's really all I've got. Because, because again, it's, it's the effect that brought you back in time already happened. Right. So therefore, even if it doesn't happen in the future, it already did. Yeah. So you're going to be back in time regardless. Yeah. You've come unstuck in time. Yeah, effectively. Billy Pilgrim. Billy Pilgrim has come unstuck in time. Slaughterhouse-Five. Kurt Vonnegut. Nope, sorry. Great book. I would assume. I've heard a lot about it. I've never actually read it. Yeah. But anyway, regardless, yeah, you become unstuck in time, uh-huh. so therefore, whether or not the future plays out the way that it originally did is not necessary. Yes. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I think, I think you're, you're, I think that would be a good premise. For, yeah. Uh, and so that's, I think, if I, if I ever deal with time travel in any of the media that I write, that's probably going to be the way that I play it out. Yes, you can absolutely go back and rewrite time. No, it does not cause any paradox. Yes, it is a valid solution to problems. 
Yeah. So long as you have access to it. Right. Like, I don't think that... I don't like the way that Harry Potter handled it. Because it's a very deterministic way. Yeah. Which is the way Harry Potter solves it. It's everything that was going to happen already happened. It was just people's perception of it that was different. So, right. Like, Buckbeak never actually died. Right. There was no point at any point where Buckbeak died. They just heard the ash swish and thunk the way that, you know, they saw it from the direction of the other characters. Sure. So, which made me disappointed, but that's... It's Harry Potter. Yeah. What can you do? Complain? <laughs> Stop reading them. That is... Yeah. I have not seen a single Ma- Fantastic Beast movie I never planned to. Okay. Because, actually, there was an interesting... There's a person on on YouTube... Okay. Who just goes by the title Sean. That's his YouTube channel. Or yeah. channel. is just called Sean. Nice. But uh, he does a lot of leftist analyzing of different things in the world. Okay. Uh, like, he did one called... Um, oh, what was that book called? He did a really good one that was a review of a certain book, and I'm going to need to look at his YouTube channel to remember the name of the book. Um... The Bell Curve. Okay. Which was all about how IQ is... It, it was... It was... A pro-eugenics books without ever actually talking about eugenics. Great. Yeah. Talking about how IQ is determined by genetics, and IQ is the way to get forward in the world, and so we'd be try- we should be trying to... Selectively determine for higher IQ, etc., etc., whatever. But no, he does a really good breakdown of the fact of why not only is the book's premise awful and uses terminology wrong, but also that their sources are absolute garbage. And so it's just a terrible book all around. Okay. But he also does a really interesting in depth analysis of Harry Potter and, um, uh, J.K. Rowling's, like, storytelling methods and things. And it's really good, and I'd recommend you listen to it if you have two hours to kill, because it is an hour and 45 minutes. Oh, sure. But, I mean, he goes into the different way that J.K. Rowling deals with certain plot points that she brings up, and why her political views means that certain things in Harry Potter never get wrapped up, like the half elves or like the house elves situation. That never comes to any kind of fruition. No. We see Dobby's does specifically, but the rest of it nothing ever changes. The system around half elves never change. Right. They're they 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 that's that plot point is never brought to a close. Of Hermione finding out that the house elves are there and wanting that, to make them yeah. free. Well, and the fact that, you know, Hogwarts runs off of slave labor, like, that's that's never really addressed. Right. The only way it's a kind of smoothed over is the idea that they want to be. Right. But even that's kind of a squidgy idea if you get into it. Like, yeah. it's well, all well and good for you to say that, yes, the slaves want to be slaves, but, like... Huh? 
Like, you can write this in any way you want, Rowling. Really pro-slave... Slaves are the way you want to go. Especially when that was an excuse that a lot of people used for keeping African Americans as slaves. Yeah. Yeah, like... I'm not saying you can't write it. It's your universe. You can write what rules you want. But... Yeah. Yeah, so... And, and he goes into the fact of, like, actually J.K. Rowling's political views, not even saying that she's pro-slavery, but her neoliberal political views kind of absolutely entail individual change is absolutely necessary, but systemic change is not. All problems arise from individual corruption in a pure systemic system not that the systemic system itself is flawed and needs to change. Well, that's just... That doesn't I know. make any sense. I know, I agree. But that is also her political view, because that is how neoliberalism works in England. Oh. I mean, that could be the case. That could, if you had a perfect system right. set up. But, but it's not. <laughs> nowhere has that. Right. So so the fact is, but that's why Dobby is freed. But the house uh, elves themselves, are their system has never changed. Because the system is not the problem. It was the individual terrible master of the Malfoys that was the problem. Wow. Yeah. I'm three movies into the Fantastic Beasts, because that's right. what's out. I'll probably finish them. It's fine. Whatever. It's, I'm not uh, criticizing you for watching oh, them. No. I'm just... Yeah, no. I, I feel like you can, at least superficially, uh, if you don't agree with the creator's ideas, or at least some of them, uh, you can separate that from the art somewhat. Yes, I think, the de I think death of the author is real. However... There's a couple of things on that front. Right. One, I think the author's intent can come across in a lot of ways that are more subtle than people think. Sure. Like the house elf situation and neoliberalism. Mm -hmm. Like, that viewpoint is there whether or not the author intended it to be or not. And while you can read it and take something else away from the books if you want to... That neoliberal English viewpoint is still going to kind of always be there because it is a it is a continual theme through the Harry Potter books that the system is never the problem; it's individual people in the system that are the problem. Right, and that 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 is, you see it in multiple forms throughout her books. It's not just the house elf situation; it's right. the Ministry of Magic, and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so, but I do also agree that, like, a lot of people read the Harry Potter series and came away feeling like just because they were outcasts doesn't mean that they were bad. Which is why it was such a smack to a lot of people who were LGBTQ when she came out as a transphobe. Yes. Um, and so... Which was weird. Yeah. I, I... I I did kind of turn when I heard about that and look at her and, and not not literally but kind of figuratively look at J.K. Rowling and I'm like, did you read your own books? No. Because like sure. the entire point was that Harry was different, but that was okay. Right. And just because he was different and not like his 
foster family, that doesn't make him wrong. Yeah. That he's a full and valid person regardless. Yeah. And I, d- I do believe her transphobia comes from a personal experience. Oh, does it? It does. Oh, okay. Which I am not excusing. No. But is more understandable than just an out of nowhere. Right. At the same time, it does make me wonder about her issue with trans people as a whole from his individual experience when her political whole ideology is that the system is not the problem. It is individuals within the system that's the problem. Right. It's... uh, and I am I am one to quickly be like, oh, I have enough of my own problems. I don't need to criticize or worry about somebody right. else's. Um, and to be fair, I am probably a little more personally affected by this, not because I am trans myself, but I have a few close friends who are absolutely trans. Sure. And so I have seen... Plus, I actually had a friend I had to cut contact with because of the fact that she was so behind Rowling's views. I'm like, I cannot continue interacting with you. Because... Understand. Right, because, right. The, the like, I I cannot continue, in good conscience, continue being a friend. I hope you will someday come around and come into your own views rather than just adopting the views of someone else. Right. But I can't continue to interact with you when your ideological thing is that these two people that I know and care about very deeply, their entire identity is invalid. Right. Which... Like, you can't, as one individual, you can't say that about another individual. Right, right. I, I have no authority to say what somebody else's identity is. Right. And I think that all identities are valid within reason, that reason being whether or not they affect me. Right. If you, if you expect me to bow down to you because you identify as a god, that's where that self-identity... Right. Or, yeah. where, or where there is some sort of harm. Right, of course, yes. Like, as my mom used to say, and I actually hold to it, the right to swing your fist ends when it meets my nose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So That's really it. Yeah. If, if there was more of that kind of thinking in general, it'd be in a better place. I believe so. I think the world would be in a better place, because, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think it is our prerogative to decide what other people identify as, insofar as it doesn't affect you. Right. So. Yeah. But we are not in that world, unfortunately. No. We're in our own little worlds. Talking about the Cosmere. We are. Mostly. Bundles of flesh with electricity coursing through it that is talking to another bundle of flesh with with electricity coursing through it. And ultimately, Adam's talking to Adam's. Yep. Uh, a fun fact, the uh, Words of Radiance. So, right. so this, and I may cut this to be earlier, fun fact, one, this, I've talked to you about how I enjoy that there is a book in World named after the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Book. There is an actual book called right. The Way of Kings. So, there is... so, listening to Intentionally Blank, right. this is, of course... The point. It is the Stormlight Archive. Right, right. And the archive is 
those books. Right, right, yes. So, um, and he told a funny story, because the first few episodes of their podcast is trying to name the podcast. Ah, okay. Which eventually just ends up being intentionally boring. <laughs> he said that he wanted to name Words of Radiance the Book of Endless Pages. Okay, oh, because, because of, of the, that book. Right, because the book the, in, that, that Yasna hands uh, right. Shalom. Shalom. Yes. And um, Sanderson said his editor refused because it is already, it was going to be a thousand pages long. You do not need to feed critics uh, their one-liners. Right. So, <laughs> I thought that was entertaining. That so is he changed it to Words of Radiance. So now I, I am doubly interested in what the fifth book is titled. Right. I am also curious, and I would like to ask Brandon Sanderson this, is if he actually intended Way of Kings and Words of Radiance to be a single book. Because I will say where Way of Kings ends and Words of Radiance picks up. Okay, okay, here's actually okay. a better thing. Okay. I can pick out the ends of Words of Radiance. Right. Battle ends, they end up in Eurythiru. And, specifically, Sadius dies. Well, Sadius, Sadius dies, and, and Dalinar, Dalinar becomes bond, the Storm bonds, Daddy. Yeah, bonds with the, with the Storm. <laughs> God damn it. Because <laughs> that just reminds me of the term that somebody is... So, a person I know watches Critical Role. Sure. And apparently somebody on that, they're doing an interlude here, which takes place in the past of the world that Critical Role takes place in. I tried to start watching with this latest episode. Oh, like, that would be, can... might be why you're super confused. No, 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 keep going. Okay. Anyway, apparently the character who's calling, who's playing the paladin. Okay. The nickname for him is Paladaddy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Anyway, regardless. Um, and I can pick out where Oathkeeper ends. Oathbringer. Oathbringer, sorry. Yeah, I can pick out where Oathbringer ends. Right. Giant battle... Yes. And then I can pick out where Rhythm of War ends. But until you reminded me, I could not pick out where Way of Kings ended and Oathbringer picked up. Really? For the longest time, I could not remember where that where that break was. I do now know. I do now remember. Which is? Which is... The Battle of the Plains and bring Dalinar's group back from their yes. estrangement on on the plateau by Sadius. Right. But for the longest time, I could not remember where it ended, and I think it's because the ends of Way of Kings blends into Words of Radiance so seamlessly. Yes. That picking out where that transition made was lost on my brain for the longest time. I. Well, it would be cool to ask and, and, and find out, you know, which part of Way of Kings Prime, which, for those who may not know, Sanderson wrote, like, nine books before Elantra was published. Right. Or at least wrote a, a, a big portion of those. Yes. So, so it's possible that parts of those, parts of Way of Kings and Words of Radiance were two things. Right. You listened to them, right? Yes, I and did listen. Did to you them. listen to them back to back? Yes, I did. Okay, so did I. 
And up right. until my second reread, yeah, I, I felt the same. Like, it does blend. Right. Second point, I believe there's, like, no time difference between those two books where there is a gap between two and three and three and four. Yes, but it, between two and three, it's very small. It is. Between where Dalinar and everyone ends up in the Urethiru and... Ra- not Raiden. There's Renarin and Adolin. Yeah. Adolin kills Sadius. It's a very... It's, it's a it's very, okay, so very take tiny. that one out. But it is... It is yes, now we've, we have transitioned to... I think, I think what it is is that there's a thematic difference between that because the ending of Words of Radiance is a very literal and figurative transition of Battle of the Plains, Urethiru, War to Peace. Right. And there's the whole Everstorm meeting the... Also, the, the no, knights Storm. Ra- no Knights Radiant. Right, to... Two Knights Radiant. Right. You don't get that thematic change. No. From... Way of Kings to Words of Radiance. You get slaved men to free men. Right. But even that's not that much of a change because even up until that point, Bridge 4 was kind of operating independently. Right. As they are still doing. So while they are officially freed men in Words of Radiance, as opposed to being slaves, their behavior doesn't change that much. Right. So I think that's kind of the problem that I have, or that's the problem that I had of picking out the the ending from between the two. Because, yeah, that definitely did blend for me. And I am curious about whether or not it was supposed to be one book and they split it because it was a thousand pages. Because we saw that with, um, and I was actually kind of disappointed about this, with Dresden Files and Peace Talks and Battleground. Sure was, I believe the original book was supposed to be about 600 pages, and then they split it into two. They did. Which was somewhat disappointing to me. I don't know. I With with both of them out now... Let me say this. I will feel... I will say that... And maybe this is just the knowledge that I have that it was supposed to be a single book. The Ends of Peace Talks does feel a little clumsy. Yeah. And I think that's because it was supposed to flow directly into Battleground. Right. And so probably people listening to it right now, back to back, it's not going to feel that way because they'll just move right on through. But to wait a month for Battleground to come out and to sit on the end of Peace Talks where it ended, it, I don't know, it, it felt a little weird. Yeah, but I, I mean, you know, perhaps to, to Butcher for not wanting... To have to his his fans to have to pay fifty dollars for, for one book, versus right. sixty dollars for two, was it? Oh, for hardcovers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, but I, I, when Sanderson did his Kickstarter, we did have people saying, "Can you split up the payment? Can you do? If I can't afford this as one lump, right?" For, so unfortunately, I think that's a problem on Kickstarter, though. I mean, yes, but if. What I'm saying is that you could apply the same situation where somebody couldn't spend 50... I'll agree. And, well... And so, yeah, splitting it into two and 30 bucks a piece, I agree. Yes. And, honestly, I probably would have actually applied the same to Kickstarter, saying that they should have a payment plan... Right. ...thing, where 
you can pledge that amount and you would have to put down a down payment of a certain amount of that initial payment. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the way that that could happen is that um, it, it would only be an option to change to after the product is backed fully. Because oh, the way that Kickstarter yeah, yeah. works, they... They don't charge you until the Kickstarter ends. Right. So, yeah. so if, if they don't... If, if they did say, oh, installments... Well, these people need that money up front to make the product. Right. So unless it ends, you can't do installment payment. And your payment will not be included as part of the Kickstarter until right. it's fully backed. So so what you do, you run the risk there of, of the product won't come out because you weren't able to back it fully on the offset. Right. Which, which yeah, no, I think that would actually work because you're just, your backer, your payment would not count until the product is fully backed. Then you can pay in installments and still get it, but you also didn't necessarily contribute for it coming out in the same way as others did. Right. But then the, that would get into, well, okay, you know, they say that people signed up by the by the end of all the installment payments, you know, you'll get $3 million and you needed $1 million. Um, somebody has to finance that up front. And so then somebody takes on the liability fair, fair. for those people doing the installments. I think, then... okay, here's the thing. Here's, you want my personal opinion? Of course. I think Brandon Sanderson should have run it for longer than a month. Okay. I think a month was too short. Asking people for six to shell out $620 in the span of a month, a lot of people need more time to plan than that. I agree. And I feel it was a little classist, to be personally honest. It, yes, that was... It's it had, There's a lot of pros, and there's a lot of cons to the way that they did it. Yeah. The pros being, if he really... He is being the change he wants to see in the publishing world, where backing, pre-ordering gets a bonus. Right. That's, that's what one of his main motifs... Right. Like, they should come with a little... Yeah, no, it absolutely should. Like, that'd you, be great. If you pre-order something, it should come with a little something extra. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So... And that's kind of how pre-ordering used to work, actually. That's true. A lot of the times, if you pre-ordered something, you would get something additional along with the book. Right. Um, or whatever you were pre-ordering. It's... It's difficult when... And this is going to sound a little arrogant. When you are, like us and you have the ability to see that not everybody's in the same situation as you right and there are people not as fortunate as you and you see this and you're like it it, it there's a little guilt if you let yourself feel it right there's some guilt there there is some guilt i think the bigger guilt for me comes from is not being in a better place or being able to afford it but the fact is, you and I specifically right. are in a place where we can see that not everybody, especially because we've probably been in that place, where, I mean, if you had asked me two years ago to fund that, I would not have been in no, a place yeah. to be able to do it. Absolutely. I would have been able to maybe get the digital and audio copies, but that would have been... Sure. That would have been the totality of what I would have been able to afford. But is not being able to turn around and help others. Right. Because we were able to afford each of ours individually. Actually, you helped me with mine right. even a little bit. But I, you and I both didn't have the chance to turn around and help two other people totally out with theirs. That's true. Even if we had known people who were trying to. That's true. 
And so the fact is, is that there is a little bit of guilt, but I'm, I'm more, I'm kind of a little bit upset at Brandon that he ran it as short as he did. Right. I think that I, I don't disagree that pre-ordering should come with extra stuff. Totally behind that. I think running it for a pure 30 days, you're cutting off a lot of people's chances to enjoy that kind of thing. And on the flip side of that, maybe, I mean, he really, he said he didn't even think they'd get a million. Right. So, okay, yeah, so it it blew up, right, which was not necessarily his fault other than for being a great writer. Right. Um, And I don't know if you can extend it via Kickstarter's rules. I don't know, to be perfectly honest. I mean, but they did do the backer kit, so it was for two months. Right. I just feel like... Because, okay, here's the thing. I'm totally behind the idea of, you know, people will be like, oh, well, don't spend $12 on movies. Dude, $12 isn't going to pay the rent. Right. Like, if somebody is, is unable to afford rent, but they're spending their $12 on to go see a movie because they can and it provides a little bit of enjoyment, I'm not going to criticize. $620 is rent. That's true. And so there are going to be people who look at that and be like, my choice is to either continue to have an apartment or to pay this this backing, you know, to back this product. Right. And so, yeah, it's... And I get it. The books themselves were only, like, what, 40 for the four? Uh, for the digital copies? For the digital. Yeah. So, I get it. They could just get the books. Right. I don't know. It It's... And, and for the amount of stuff, the price... Oh, yeah, no, don't uh, get me wrong. Definitely. If, domestically. Right. Definitely acceptable. The shipping international... I mean, so, there's also, like, another thing to consider is that this was a first time doing something like this. Right. Which is always going to be, like, if if he does something again like this for eight, for eight years down the road... Right. You know, not because there's a pandemic, but just because they plan it or whatever... I could see them having an international shipping thing that's way less now because they do have a warehouse, that kind of thing. And here's the thing, actually. I wouldn't have minded if this was a month if they had started with something smaller. True. Like, just backing the first book of the four that he had planned. It was that they left a month for you to afford a year's worth of shit. Yeah. And that's tough. That is tough. I I do wonder... I expect, and it's always just like, you know, on one hand, on the other hand, on one hand, on the other hand, like, if they get the money more up front, then the items they can get for later boxes are going to be even better. Right. That kind of thing. And don't get me wrong, I mean, like, it's, I'm not upset at what I'm getting. Right. And I'm not upset that they got the money that they did, because, like you said, hopefully Brandon can do it to buy back you know, some of the the licenses that he let out and, you know, they'll be able to fund that money into better products or better versions mm-hmm. of the products they were already going to give us or whatever. I just, I understand, as someone who has been in a less fortunate situation, I understand how devastating it can be to want to afford all that stuff and not yeah, be able to afford it. Yeah, it'd be... Uh... It'd be cool to see if they would do something like uh, a survey 
where you could say, okay, what item, from what boxes do you think you would want items? Right. Or what I would love to see is if they order, I would love to see them order more items mm -hmm. than they have actual backer kits going out. Right. And, and then, then sell the surplus on their store for right. a cheaper price. So if they do a survey, they may be able to gauge yeah. better what to get. Would you rather have a t-shirt? Would you rather have a keychain? That kind right. Because, yeah, I would love to see that. I'd love to see them order more of that stuff and then sell it individually so that people can get, if not the entire you know, box of that month, at least maybe some individual things they really right. wanted. But the unfortunate reality is that they are working out of their own warehouse. Right, which, you know, does have limited store space. so much. Yeah. They can only ship so much. Well, no, I won't say they can only ship so much in a reasonable time. They could, you know, just say, you know, this will take six weeks to press. Right, right, right. So, you know, it's it's bittersweet, but... And I'm glad we are getting what we're getting. Yeah. And the fact is, is that there's a good chance that if there's something in the box that I don't particularly enjoy, I might turn around and sell it on eBay sure. for a reasonable price. Right. Because I remember that um, when you pre-ordered Dragon Age Inquisition, uh, there was a bunch of shit you got, but one of the things you got was a set of tarot cards. Oh. That if you, if you pre-ordered. And I didn't really care, but the person I was dating at the time really wanted those tarot cards, but she was not able to pre-order Dragon Age Inquisition. Uh, she just got the game when it came out. Um, but I was able to get on eBay and actually find a set of the tarot cards that somebody was selling. Huh. Just the cards by themselves, nothing else. Sure. And, I mean, I think I had to shell out about $100, but it wasn't terrible for what I was getting, and the person I was with really wanted it, so I sure. was, didn't mind. Um, but it was also cheaper than the full pre-order by itself, because that was pretty high, if I remember correctly. So. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I mean, on that front, pre-order should come with something extra, and Dragon Age Inquisition definitely delivered on that front. Yeah. I mean, so. they still do it with uh, video games. Yeah, they definitely. Most. At least the big ones. Yeah. And I think the problem, and maybe the thing that Brandon Sanderson was kind of fighting against, and I agree, is that... Video games do it now, but a lot of other medias don't. Yeah. And even the video game ones have... Dropped. Dropped in quality. Yeah. I think the best ones I've seen are keychains, honestly. And I know um, Fallout 76 got a shit ton of flack for the low quality of their pre-order stuff. I mean, Fallout 76 got flack for everything. Well, yeah. So. I, I think that just... Who's the one? Is that Bethesda? Yeah. Yeah, Bethesda dropped the ball yeah. on Fallout 76. But to talk about other video games, did you watch the Pokemon Scarlet and Violet trailer? No. However, I have seen the uh, amount of hype that has uh, surrounded LeChonk. LeChonk. Yes. That is... I'm pretty hyped. Uh, so, so it's the... I think it's Scarlet is yeah scarlet is a past theme yes and violet in, is a future, future theme and i'm yes. going for violet okay oh, partly it's... because i always go for the cool colors which sure purple is only kind of because it's a mix of a hot and a cold I mean, color it's typically but it's typically considered a cool color and yeah so and i always have except the one ex uh, the one exception to that is that i went for gold instead of silver yeah that's and weird. i don't know why because i like silver over gold i don't know why i went for gold version but there you go weird I'll probably uh, go for Scarlet. Um, I really like the designs. Yeah. 
I was I was a little hesitant about the I don't know if you saw the legendaries. Oh yes, yes I did. So my initial thought was this is weird. Um, they do look a little bit weird. I won't deny. I don't think the wheel in the Scarlet Legendary er, in something in Mirakai, Karakai, whatever. The wheel in Scarlet's Scarlet Legendary's chest. I mean, it's kind of clear they're going for some sort of motorbike theme. Right. Don't... Yeah. Not the biggest... L- it, it grew on me. But it's it was it's initially... It's not the worst design. Also, apparently the two legendaries are, are named actually after the Japanese That's words right. for past and future. I saw that, yes. Here's the one thing that I will say that I hope. I hope the story does not change significantly between the two. Given what they've done with Pokemon recently, it won't. I'm hoping not, because even in the past, that was also the same. It was the same story between both. Really, the only difference between games was the Pokemon you had access to. Right. Now, Black and White deviated a little bit, considering they had an entirely different section, depending on which one you went to. They had the White Forest and the Black City, or whatever. Um, And... Sun and Moon, not too different, just the time that you were playing. Because if you got Moon version, your daytime hours would be nighttime in the game. And Sun was... Which was a smart... Yeah, it was a smart play. I I don't disagree with that. I think it was a smart play. I don't know if there was any other huge differences apart from some Pokemon. There were. I played played all four of those. Right. Sun, Moon, Ultra. Now, Alpha... Alpha Ruby and Omega Sapphire, I have, but I never actually played. So, I don't I know. I played enough for both of us. Right. I. Was there any significant difference? No. I okay. mean, it was the same as Ruby and Sapphire. Right, which there wasn't a huge. There was a different enemy team depending on which one you played. Right, and so. And uh, a different legendary, of course. But different legendary is always been the case except for red and blue right um but even in gold and silver it started being a different legendary because red and blue was and the three birds right yeah so no i played um i must have played through alpha sapphire like 20 plus times because so i had i decided when i i I loved those games right mega ruby and alpha sapphire Ruby and Sapphire were my most nostalgic. Gotcha. I had Crystal. Crystal was my first own game. Right. Ruby and Sapphire were my... Ruby was the first one that I... And see, I, that's that's kind of the same for me, except set it back a generation. Sure. I had blue version, but gold and silver are really my... Kind of where it was, like, cohesive, and you kind of... The jump in, in graphics kind of... I latched on. Um, so I played Omega Ruby, and I got through it, and I caught all the legendaries I could, and I did that, and then I decided, well, I really want a living Pokedex. Oh, uh, okay. So, that's gens 1 through 6 at that point. Right. Which, between X, Y, Omega Ruby, and Alpha Sapphire, you can find all of the Pokemon in every generation. Okay. I did use some of the Pokemon from White 2, because it was easy to transfer them through Pokemon Home. Gotcha. Um... But, so what I would do, and, and they had the Global Trade Station, um, I finally had a game that had, the 3DS had internet access, I didn't have to pay for it or anything. Right. I don't remember if you had to on the DS, whatever. DSi. Um, 
I wanted a living Pokedex. So okay. what I would do, I used Omega Ruby as my base game. And I got Alpha Sapphire, and I would play through it to the point where I bought the... Le- I Not bought. I got the legendaries. Okay. Because you can get... Between the two of them, you can get all the legendaries. Right, right. Except X and Y. Um, legendaries, obviously. Uh, so to do that, you just have to fulfill certain conditions with Pokemon in your team. And it takes approximately 12 hours. If you're not super speeding through it, 12 hours... To get through the game to the point where you can catch the legendaries. Okay. So I would cycle through this, over catch the legendaries, over. put them up on the GTS to trade for the Pokemon I needed. Ah, okay. Easy peasy. Got a living dex. Been super easy to maintain since then. You know it'd be interesting. I don't. And it's something we've never seen before. Yes. But I kind of wish we would. So the fact is, is that in a lot of games, you can get the other game starters through trade or... Yes. Personal quests in the game or something like that. What I would love to see, because if you look at... I think it's gold and silver, because I think those were the first ones where you can see... Or maybe it's red and blue where you can see where a Pokemon is if you have it in your Pokedex. Or is gold and silver the first one to do that? I don't know. I don't remember using that in... Red and blue or yellow, but I barely played them. So. Yeah, I didn't. I, mean, I didn't really. I barely didn't really have the foresight to. Yeah. The gold and silver definitely. Gold and silver definitely. So let's say at least this: if you get a one of the original Kanto starters, there are islands that are un that are on the map that are unreachable in game, where it'll place the face of the the Pokemon, saying this is where you can catch uh, them. That'd be cool. But, so, so the fact is that, you know, like, in-universe, there is a place to catch these Pokemon, even though you can't ever get there. And they probably don't actually exist in any fashion except on the map. But I would love to see some of those Pokemon become able to be wildly caught. Like, not gotten through in-game quests or whatever, just, like, walk in the tall grass and run across a Squirtle. Uh, I mean, I mean the close. I don't know if you ever played Let's Go. I did, yes. Right, so. I played Let's Go Eevee to okay, to right. an extent. Right. So when you chain, in certain routes. Right. The the Bulbasaur Charmander Squirtle will pop right. up. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do know yes. that. And so something like that. Yeah, like like I would love to see that become an option, where, you know, your starters aren't available to catch wildly, because that's kind of one of the things. But previous starters from past generations would be. Because I'd love to go through, like, Sword and Shield to catch a Cyndaquil. Yeah, they did, I mean, you get the Kanto starter, and then you can find the Kanto starters in the, in the dens. Right, right. Because, like, I get yeah. starters are more powerful than a lot of the Pokemon out there. They're kind of intended to be. They're, right. they're supposed to carry your team. Yeah. They're supposed, to, they're supposed to be able to solo for at least a small portion of the game. Right. Because until you get to Viridian Fort, I mean, I guess... I guess you can catch before that. You can get a Pidgey or whatever. But, <laughs> I was, like... I was going to catch a Pidgey. But, like... Let me see this. I don't know who... I don't know anybody who ever actually did that. At least I did. I'm not saying that those I people did. did. Fair, fair enough. I mean, I played through uh, Fire Red so many times, like, 
I had to change it up. Right. And PG is actually good. Oh, yeah. And to be fair, I actually, I can't say that I didn't. I, I will freely admit, when I when I started to play Black and White, which I never actually finished, uh, I did... I don't think anybody actually finished Black and White. <laughs> I did uh, catch, I think, one of the cat ones. There was a cat one, wasn't there, in the first r- route? Kind of a purple and yellow cat one. Purloin? Is it Purloin? Yeah. Hold on. Yeah, Purloin. Maybe? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. What does it evolve into? A Lipard. Right, I'm trying to see what that looks like. Purple and yellow cat. <laughs> Just kidding. I mean, not, I mean, it is, but... Of course, this site doesn't have a picture of the Lipard picture is broken just gonna say yeah i'm just gonna google life hard okay yeah okay yeah so purloin into life hard i caught a purloin and literally dropped snivy oh i i just i hated the starters from black and white i oshawa grew on me since i like uh samurai's um design because it's not anthropomorphic i like samurai's design it looks weird compared to what comes before it. Oh, agreed. Yeah. That's what bothered me about Oshwat. Um, and then Snivy, why do they lose legs? Evolution. Why does it lose limbs? <laughs> Snakes lost limbs. Yes, I realize that. But Snivy does that from, I don't, it was, I don't know. It was weird. Yeah. Um, and then, what was the ground one? Ground? Fire? Or grass. Grass was... No, grass was snivy. So fire was... The little piglet. The little... Oh, yeah. That, that turned into the freaking... Embor. Wrestler. I don't... I, I, I just did not like... It was... Um, you know, up until Scarlet and Violet, they... All of the fire Pokemon were following the Chinese Zodiac. Oh, interesting. In some way. Um, Interestingly enough, also, up until, uh, actually, uh, Sword and Shield, all of the grass types were reptiles. Yes. In some way, shape, or form. Yeah, in some way, shape, or form. Chikorita being a dinosaur. Right. I mean, that's the stretch. Meganium is... Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. It was was reptile enough. Reptilian. Yeah. It was enough. Yeah. Um... Yeah, but I actually really like uh, Scarlet and Violet. So Dragon, and then Cyndaquil. Which I think they just put in for the rat. Kinda. Yeah, I can kinda see it. It's supposed to be a porcupine, but it's close enough. Right. Or a hedgehog, I guess. Like fire instead of Yeah, I never actually thought about... I thought it was Chinchilla. No. No. There are other Pokemon that are way more Chinchilla-like. And then... The monkey, and then... The chicken. The chicken. Chicken, chicken then yeah. the monkey. Oh, yeah, chicken, then monkey. Then yeah, the you're pig. right, you're right. Yeah, and then pig. Huh. And yeah, I know, I never picked up on that before. Fox? Is Fox one of the Chinese Zodiacs? No, the, dog the dog is. Dog. Yeah. That's, so they, they put in... Um, Gen 6 for the dog. Right, and then... And then Gen 7 was... 
the tiger. Right, right. And Gen 8 was... Was Gen 8 Sun and Moon? No, Gen 8 was Sword and Shield. Oh. So it was the rabbit. That's right. Yes. So still, still following the Zodiac. Yeah. And now it's... A ghost blizzard. It's Fue Coco. Yeah, which... Uh, I remember the duck. Yeah. And I think I might go for the grass cat. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the... the, Yeah, no. I love Fue Coco's design. By all means, go ahead and love them. I do not... I love all three, actually. Which one do you like, the cat? Yeah, I'm going for the cat. Yeah, I'm gonna go for the grass cat. Do we know what their evolutions look like, or is it just okay? So it's all supposition. That'll likely be the next reveal, or no, that'll be like the one of the last reveals that they do. Here's somebody's that I think actually looks pretty convincing, though it won't be that I know. Is that cat standing up? Yes, with a rapier. I... I understand some Pokemon being anthropomorphic. As, like, Mr. Mime. Right. The definition. Right, Mr. Even if it's a girl. Right. I hate... With a passion... Anthropomorphic starters... Fair. I think it's dumb. Well, okay, but how anthropomorphic are we talking here? Because, like, if you look at Squirtle, it's bipedal. Even though turtles are not traditionally bipedal. Right. So, when a design of the first evolution, or the first, the starting right base, what a base evolution... When the design follows the base, it's better. Fair. Okay. So Blastoise to me, yeah, he's standing on two legs. He does not have a near human face, gotcha. in my opinion. Fair. His arms are very short. So let me ask you this. Okay. What about Rowlet? Hated it. Oh, uh, okay. You hated the final evolution? That was the one I went with, too. Gotcha. Um given and of course i will i will be a politician on anyone that you ask me right you know that i oh i actually like that one um no it was still disappointing i wish it wasn't yeah and the the only reason i went with that one is the other two were even more anthropomorphic right right so i went with grookey in um, Sword and Shield. Okay. Because its final version was anthropomorphic because it's a gorilla. Right. Which makes sense. Right, it does make sense because it starts out as a monkey. Right. And what um, was the water... The water one was a lizard. Yeah, salamander. It was more of a salamander. It was more lizard. of a salamander. Sure. Yeah. That became a private eye. Or, like, a, a James Bond. Sniper type thing. Right. It wasn't super anthropomorphic. Like, its move was, but it's it still went quadrupedal for most of it like for movement and stuff it was still mostly quadrupedal yeah at least within its move within its battle 
Oh, okay. I don't know about following. I don't Just the pictures I've seen of it, and especially the fire one was obviously a soccer player. Like, and I get that they go with a theme, but the first three generations of starters, even the first four, top notch. Yeah. Keep going with non-anthropomorphic. Yeah, for Valligator, stood up. So did it, so did Quilara. Right. That, but they were definitely still animals. But Pokemon, not, but real animals will raise themselves up in an attack position right. a lot of times. Right. If they have that ability. Sure. So, but, but the pig wrestler. Yeah. I know Snivy's evolution was not anthropomorphic. In fact, the first evolution was the most anthropomorphic with its arms and legs the way it was. And I get this, this is all made up, but... And, like, if you look at Trico, Trico was always bipedal. It was. But he still looked like a lizard. Yeah. Even up until the end. Right. Also got False Claw, which... Was awesome. Awesome, for a starter, because that yeah. makes it the perfect catch yeah. tool, unless you're going up against ghosts. Right. Um... Yeah, or so, false swipe, not false claw. False swipe. So I am hoping that from that picture you showed me of the YouTube somebody's designs of them, the alligator looked like an alligator. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. I don't like that the cat became a... A fencer. Right. Yeah. Which is... You know what I want to see personally? What's that? I want to see more actual grass elements on the cat. Not just it being green. Oh, sure. I want actual, like, if it's a grass Pokemon, give me grass elements. That makes sense. Because otherwise, why didn't you just make a normal type? Like, it's just going to be a tiger or whatever. Right. Why did you make it a grass type? Right. Give give me some grass elements to it. Right. Like, Torterra like, was obviously a turtle that had a giant tree on right, it. Right, exactly. Bulbasaur had the bulb. The, yeah. Trico was... Eh, I mean, I mean it's it got, got the pine... Yeah, at the very end, it has the pine elements to it. Um, Venusaur had... Chikorita, the, obviously. Or, yeah, with the With the petals. leaves and the petals. Um, <sighs> Snivy did not... Except it kind of had, like, petal things at the very end. Petal like, yeah, or, like, leaf offshoots. But that wasn't until the final evolution. Yeah. And then... Six was Chespin, which all three of those starters were anthropomorphic at the end. Right. I went with Chespin. I felt like it was the least anthropomorphic. Um... And then the grass and sword and shield was... Well, that was Chespin, wasn't it? No, no that was the Gorilla. The Gorilla. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. And so then that was fine. Sun and Moon was the owl. And, and oh, I, yeah, and I can see, like, okay, this Pokemon is grass uh, because they live in foresty areas and they blend in. Right. So, I, sure, I get the green cat. I do agree. It would be nice to see more elements that are... Yeah. Because, like, okay, here's the thing that's kind of bothered me about the grass types being entirely, uh, like, reptiles. I get it, reptiles pretty much, well, uh, they definitely don't ex exclusively live in forests, but it's an easy... Sure. It's an easy, you know, comparison to make, but, like, 
There's a whole lot of other creatures that live in a forest. Right. There's squirrels. A squirrel grass type would have worked in perfectly. Which they kind of did with Chespin. Eventually. Yeah, I mean, that's... But that was also... What even is that? Is it a, uh... What's, what's the... Chipmunk? Is it a chipmunk? I have no idea, to be perfectly honest. Spiny nut. Fennekin is just a fox. Right. Froakie is a bubble frog. Ches right. Chespin is a spiny nut. So. So so what? It's. Is it literally? It's an literally. <laughs> it's literally called the spiny nut Pokemon. So it's a nut. It's literally a plant. I... The quills on its head are usually soft. Like, I get it. Like, we have Sunflora. We have Pokemon that are literally plants. Chespin did not strike me as that. We should probably stop recording. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay, see you next time. The music you hear is part three, The Spirit, from Zavadilla's The Music of Elantris, produced by B-Roll Records. Available now on Apple Music, Spotify, and most music providers. If you like what you hear and you want others to hear it as well, please leave a rate and review. It really helps us get more listeners.